Would you be able to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? As uh, last week we decided to take two weeks in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the more I've studied this, the more I think we probably should have done uh, six or eight weeks on the Lord's Prayer. But two weeks is what we got. So, um, so we're eager to get back into the Word this morning. Um, what is the Lord's Prayer? This is the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. John's disciples, John the Baptist, his, his disciples came to him and said, Hey, John, teach us how to pray. Jesus' disciples, seeing his joy with his Father, come to him and say, Teach us how to pray. And, and this is the prayer that Jesus used to teach them how and what to pray for in their prayer lives. In our modern day, in our busyness, in our easily distracted world, I think we could use two or 20 weeks on hearing afresh once again what it is that Christ calls us to pray for, how we are to pray for the things that we ought to honor the name of the Lord. And, and so this morning, as we, as we hear the Lord's Prayer, again, I, I said it last week, I'll say it again, we are sitting at the feet of Christ as he's instructing us how to pray. Like, what, what better teacher could we have this morning than Christ? We're, we're hearing the very words that Christ taught. And so, as we, as we do so, I just want to remind us, we, we come to a God this morning... We come to a God who is eager to bless, who is eager to hear you, who is eager to to have you come to him so that your needs can be met by him and so that your joy can increase as you see him meet your needs day by day as you pray. You know, when you pray, you're not informing God of anything new, right? You're not telling him something like, oh, I didn't realize that. You're not telling him anything new. What you're doing is you're expressing relationship with your father. When my kids call me up and say, hey, dad, how's it going? I just want to talk. It is a delight to my ears. I want that. I love that. When we pray with the Lord, what we're doing is saying, Lord, I love you and I need you. I honor you and these are the things that are on my heart. You know them already, but I'm I'm looking to you that you might meet those needs by your grace. That's the spirit of this prayer. That's the spirit of the way that Jesus desires that we pray and ask the Father. So I'm going to read again. This is Matthew 6. I'm going to read starting at verse 5 through 15. The focus of our time, though, this morning will be on verses 11 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Holy Father, we pray that now as we look into this word, as we remind ourselves afresh this morning of what your Son, Jesus, taught us how to pray. Lord, we open our hearts to you today, this morning. Lord, we we pray that you would move in our hearts. We pray that the words here would, would not just be words on a page that we hear, but they would impact us and drive us to our knees in joy, in relationship with you. Lord, help us. We're busy people. We, we, we have all kinds of things going on, Lord, and, and all kinds of distractions. We're not a people who, who are accustomed to just pausing to pray often. We, we just don't. So, work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to be a prayerful people. Help us now as we sit at the feet of Christ. And we pray that you would teach us through his words And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me do a little bit of review where we were last week, and then we'll hit where we are this week. So there are six petitions in total in this prayer. Six total. We looked at the first three last week. Those were, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So those three have to do with the glory of God. Those three have to do with the, the honor that is due to the name of God. Those three have to do with his glory be made, being made manifest on the earth as his will is lived out by his people. As, as his believers, as his sons and daughters live in this world in such a way as to not accomplish their own desires and their own will, but the will of the Father who has set them here for a specific purpose. So last week's petitions had to do with the glory of God. This week's petitions, the three that we'll look at this morning, um, give us our daily bread, forgive our debts as we've forgiven those who have, uh, who excuse me, forgiven our debtors, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those have to do with our needs. So if last week was about the glory of God, and rightly so, rightly so that our prayers start that way, this week has to do with the needs that come into our lives, the needs that we have in our day-to-day life. And so we're gonna, how we're going to walk through this is just take one phrase at a time and walk through it. And I trust and pray that as we go through these things, that, that there may be perhaps some refreshment that comes to you, some reminder of how much God loves you. So let's jump in. Number one, give us this day our daily bread. In this prayer, we are to ask, in fact, God for our daily provisions, for the necessities of life, 
for the day-to-day needs that we have and that we experience. And what strikes me in the reading of this prayer altogether, what strikes me is that first we're talking about the grandeur and, and glory of God, this will that, that no, no man or no woman or no child can, can interrupt the will of God. He, he's got a sovereign will. It's being accomplished in the world right now through the events of human history, though they may baffle us. God is accomplishing his almighty purposes this morning, right now. Through the crazy things going on in Russia, through the the crazy things happening even in our own land, God is accomplishing his purposes all around the world. And while we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the very next thing is that God cares about the the, the little intricacies of our life. He, he cares whether we have bread on the table. God cares about us. He is glorious. He is mighty. He is accomplishing His will. But He cares about the things that you care about. He cares about your finances. He cares about your needs. He cares about the relationships that you have. He cares about your sleeplessness. He cares about your diseases. He cares about everything that impacts your heart. He cares. So I, I, I'm struck by the fact that this prayer is like glorious and in, in the mightiness of God. And then the very next thing that we're praying for is things like our daily bread. There's something about a father who, who can hold the stars in the hand. I mean, he, he put... The, the working of the stars and the world and the solar system. He's the one that created that and he's the one that sustains that. And yet he cares about your daily bread. Dear friend, I, I think that there are times when we forget that. I think there are times when we, it's just lost on us. Perhaps in the watches of the night. Perhaps in those moments when when you forget that, that there is a plan for your life and that God is at work, we can forget that. I can, I can forget that pretty quickly, more quickly than I'd like to admit. Our Father is intimately concerned with the details of our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, in the context of the original hearers, this was a very agrarian society. They did not have electricity. They did not have refrigerators. They did not have homogenized processed things. They, they needed God to provide for them day by day. There's no place to store stuff. So they needed the Lord's provision day by day. This is a little bit harder, excuse me, for us because we can stack it all in the fridge, right? And this isn't just about food, of course. It's about our daily provisions. But, but, but we like to stack things up. And I'm not saying preparing for the future is somehow wrong. That's, that's not the point. But preparing for the future in such a way so that we can forget about the provision of God, that's what's wrong. This is inside of all of our hearts. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. When the Old Testament Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years, God provided for their needs by sending what? Sending manna. What was manna? It was bread from heaven. It just came. 
God provided for their needs. But there were people who were like, I mean, I would have been this way. It's like, hey, there's manna there. Like, I'm going to snatch it, get my fill. There's some more. I'm going to snatch it, store it in my tent so I have some tomorrow. What would happen when you'd store the manna in your tent? What would happen? It would go bad. It would spoil. Why? Did God not know about preservatives? It's because he wants us to trust him day by day. He wants us to look to him day by day. See, God could give in a lump sum all that we need at one time. He could. He has the ability to do that, but he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants us to look to him. He wants us to cry out to our Abba Father and say, Lord, I need you today. And then he's like, I know you do, and I'm going to provide for you. But I'm not giving it to you in a lump sum. Because what happens when he gives, when if he were to give it in a lump sum, we would, we would forget about God. We would take it for granted. Do you know that, that every good gift that you have, you know this, church, you know that every good gift that you have is from the Lord. Let me quote James here. He says it, he reminds us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. From the hands of our Father, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes in his faithful giving to you of good gifts. You might say, Hey, not everything I've received in my life is good, and I understand that. There is sin in the world. But everything that God gives is good. Every gift is from above. If you got a paycheck this week, guess who's that's from? Not because God signed the check, but who gave you that income? Who enabled you to work? Who gave you hands? Who sustains your life and your breath? Who is it? Is it you? Is it me? No, it's God alone. Every gift and every, everything that we have. The lunch that you'll enjoy today. Who's providing that? Now, I, I can hear objections rising in your voice, in your mind, like, Wait a minute, I work hard for this. I, I, I paid for this. I deserve this. Really? Do we really deserve this? Who sustains the solar system? Who provides rain for the crops? Who's the one in whose hands our every breath is found? We are utterly and in totality, we are completely dependent upon the Lord, give us this day our daily bread is a reminder that we need the Lord day by day, right? Are you with me? We need the Lord every day, even though the fridge might be full. We need the Lord every day. The fact that he says it's our daily bread means, yep, today you're going to provide for me. Tomorrow you're going to provide for me yet again. He is good in his provision for us. See, this is, I think this is a, a, a sticking point for us, dear friends. I, I do believe, I think that part of our struggle in the 21st century is to be dependent. I think we like to be independent. And this prayer is stripping away the independence that we so often express to God through our prayerlessness, right? Through our lack of thankfulness. 
at times. This is stripping away our independence and reminding us of the dependency upon which we lean on the Lord. I think that one of my great sins that I hope I'm dying to is the sin of self-sufficiency. I depend on myself far too much when I should be depending on my Lord. So when I pray, uh, give us this day my daily bread, our daily bread. I'm dying to self-sufficiency. Do you see it? And we're saying, Lord, everything that I have, the place where I lay my head at night, it is a gift from you. It is a gift that I receive and I thank you for it. And, you know, dear friends, I think it does our soul, I think it does our soul really, really good to pause even now. Just take a minute. How good has the Lord been to you? Some of you have lived a long time. Some of you have lived a short time. But just pause for a moment. Has there ever been a day when God hasn't provided what you needed? He sustained your life to this point. Has he sustained you? Has he been good to you? Has he provided for your needs? Has the way that he's provided not always been the way that you would have liked? Yes. Yes. We can agree together. There are hard days. But has God given us what we need? This prayer says, oh yes, he has. And it's a prayer for the future. To say, Lord, I trust that you're going to give me exactly what I need. Sometimes we can be anxious about the future, right? Sometimes we can anticipate things and say, Lord, I, I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't, I don't understand how this is going to work in my favor. And so we yield ourselves to anxiety. This prayer, this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, it's transformative toward our anxieties because it holds the promise that God will be faithful. He will. You know it. He will be faithful regardless of the circumstance. And so Jesus, with great economy, with great wisdom, as he's teaching not just those disciples, but as he's teaching these disciples, including me, he says, this is what you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread. He not only prays that our daily needs will be sustained by his power and his glory, he goes on. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word for debts here is interchangeable with the word for sin. So I think the sentence could be faithfully rendered, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And the question may come to your mind, as it does to mine, why do we need to ask, for, ask to be forgiven from our sins if we know and believe the gospel? In other words, if by faith in the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ, if, if I believe that and the word of God says that, that as God by the Holy Spirit grants me faith and belief, then all of my sins, past, 
present, and future, all of my sins are covered and washed away to the degree that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, believer, he sees not your performance this past week, praise the Lord, right? But he sees the perfections of Jesus Christ. He sees you as righteous, totally righteous. No mar on your record. That's what the gospel does. Praise the Lord. It cleans the record. We are clean for all time. So if that's the case, why is Jesus instructing us to say and forgive us our debts? Why, why would he instruct us to do that? Again, he's, he's instructing his disciples. He's not talking to people that don't know their father. He's talking to those who know their heavenly father. Well, I believe that scripture gives us a clear answer that while it is gloriously true that God does forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future in the moment of faith when we believe in the Lord, yet we still have sin in our lives. We still can grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. See, you, you can't, you and I, we can't go around sinning, doing whatever we want, and expect to be walking with the Spirit of God. We can't, can't just do the opposite of the Word of God and say, oh, God's just with me. No, there's going to be a grieving that happens. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us, reminds us that, that we're to be filled with the Spirit and, and not grieve the Spirit and, and hinder His work in our lives. So when we sin, we agree with God and we turn away from that sin and we remind ourselves of the gospel and the gospel that cleanses our sin and, and awakens us afresh to the work of the Spirit. Listen, listen to the words of John. Again, John is writing to people who believed the gospel. He says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in confessing our sins as believers, as those who are for all time justified, there's, there's this cleansing, restorative act. We're freeing up the work of the Holy Spirit yet again in our hearts and lives. And so he says to ask God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, there's a link in this verse by the way that we forgive one another and the way that God has forgiven us. Uh, I was reading a book this week by Kent Hughes. Uh, he tells the story of the 19th century Scottish novelist. I uh, wonder if you know this name, Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, a guy in Scotland in the 1800s. He wrote a story, a story about two sisters. These two sisters lived in the same house. It was a small house. In fact, it was a one-room small house. These two sisters lived their entire life in this one-room house. However, at one point in their lives, they had a sharp disagreement um, about something, in fact, some point of controversial divinity, to quote him. And they had this disagreement, and their disagreement was so bitter, it went so deep that they decided to cut the house in half using a chalk line in the middle. From the middle of the fireplace straight to the middle uh, of the front door, they orchestrated their lives in such a way so that they could come and go and cook their food uh, and never set a toenail in 
their sister's property. Apparently, these were church-going ladies, as the story goes. Their hatred for one another lasted their entire lives. Walking in silence, living in silence toward one another for years and years. And I would take that story and I would submit to you that they could not, in earnestness, pray the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because if we walk in unforgiveness toward others, it evidences something about us, doesn't it? I'm not suggesting, by the way, that this, that this is easy. Uh, some of you in this room, some of you have been sinned against in grievous ways that perhaps only you and the Lord know about. And so I don't submit that this is easy. Um, but I, I do say the teaching of the Lord stands here that if, if we walk in unforgiveness, we, have to, we had better get ourselves back to the gospel because those who have been forgiven will forgive. Those who have been forgiven, those who have tasted the grace of the Lord, they will forgive. That's what he's saying. If you've tasted of the Lord, then you will forgive. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, helped me, and so I thought it might help you. He says this, The man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard. And we cannot refuse forgiveness. Whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody anything again. Dear friends, I know that's hard. But when we've been gripped by the gospel, we can't keep forgiveness to ourselves. He, he continues, I cannot withhold it. I do not even want to withhold it. That is what our Lord is saying here. I agree with him. I agree with him that, that when God so radically changes our hearts, when we see how much the Lord has forgiven us, when we experience the mercy that he's poured out upon us, it is then imperative upon us. In fact, we will, though it may take time, though it, it takes time to work through, we will forgive others. That's what he's saying. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also, notice the tense here, past tense, as we also have forgiven our debtors as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. This is why, dear church, we, we love the gospel at Grace Community Church. Why? Because it reminds us of who we once were and who we are. It reminds us of what we deserve and what we've been given, which are about as polar opposite as night and day. This is why we, when we wake up in the morning, what do we do? We, we make ourselves happy in the Lord. We say, Lord, Apart from you, I would be destined for hell. But because of the mercy of Christ, because you justified my sins through the death of Jesus Christ, and I believe that, my, my future is not hell, it's heaven. 
as we remind ourselves of that, then when we encounter the sins of other people, when we see how much God has forgiven us, we can't help ourselves but to forgive them. And see, this, this grows, Lord willing, over in our hearts and lives over time. I, I know more now as a 54-year-old man, I know much more of the ways that God has forgiven me of my sins than I did when I was eight years old when I trusted Christ. I believe that I was a sinner when I was eight. And I, I believe the Lord regenerated my heart then. And, and uh, I knew that I had done wrong. The, the, the evidence was abounding. Right? I knew it. But I, I have to tell you, the ways that I know my own heart at, at a 54-year-old are vastly different than the ways I knew my heart in the eight, as an 8-year-old. And so my appreciation for the gospel, for God's forgiveness, which, which way is it going to go in my heart the more and more I learn about how, how much God has saved me from? It's going to rise. So, dear church, you know what? You know what's true? I, I trust and believe. What's true is that this time on the last Sunday in August next year, we're going to be a community of people who are even more thankful for the grace of God than we are today. Because we'll realize more and more, Lord, you've forgiven me of so much. You've been so gracious. And now you enable me to forgive those who sin against me. I believe that's the heart of Christ. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Finally, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, again, these are challenging words at times because of the way they might immediately appear. The, the counsel of Scripture helps us tremendously here because we know from James chapter 1, that God does not tempt anyone toward evil. That would be antithetical to his very being. He is completely opposed to sin in every way. Let me read James 1.13. It's not going to be on the screen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God never will tempt us toward evil. He does, however, test us. He does, however, refine us. He wants to build our faith. He wants us to grow up in the faith. I've used this analogy before, but it works. If you want to grow your muscles, you're not going to grow your muscles by pushing the remote on the couch, right? Well, you might, maybe one thumb muscle, but that's about it. You grow your muscles by putting weights on, by testing your muscles, by putting resistance to them. That's what trials do. That's what testing does when God brings testing into our lives. Think of, think of people that we admire in the halls of faith. I think of Job. I think of Abraham. I think of others who were in the testing when they were made strong in the Lord. Some of you are being tested by the Lord right now in a significant way. Some of you at times may be, in fact, growing weary of the testing of the Lord. You're like, Lord, I think I've learned my lesson. Can school be over? The Lord knows when that time is right. God knows I've said those things to Him. Lord, have I not yet learned 
can session be out for a little while? (laughs) I'm a little weary of school, Lord, please. God knows in his infinite wisdom, and he tests us. So this is not a prayer, Lord, don't tempt me with evil. It's, It's a prayer that says, Lord, position my heart in such a way that when sin does tempt me, by my own desire, by the way, that's what James says. When, when sin does tempt me, position my heart in such a way that I will resist it. I'll not yield myself to it. I will, I will follow your way. And, and I, last night as I was just praying, the Lord, the Lord impressed upon my heart this one verse that I, I just believe He wants you to, to hear and be reminded of this morning. And this is, this is a, this is a scripture that goes to especially to people this morning who are feeling a bit overwhelmed in sin. You, you've, you've heard this scripture before, but I just believe the Lord wanted to freshly remind you of his grace that is available to you. And it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. Hear this, dear, dear believer. No temptation, not one, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hear that, friends, not as my words. Not as my words. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will not. We all face temptations of various kinds. In our young adult care group this week, we talked about sometimes some of the reason that we we are hesitant to come to God is because perhaps we've fallen into a sin that we've uh, repeated again and again and again. And and quite frankly, we don't really think that God may want to hear from us after having fallen into a particular sin. And so we can be a bit standoffish to God when that's not his desire. Because when we fall, he loves for us to come to him because he already knows that we fell anyway. He simply wants us to agree with him that it's sin, to repent of it, and allow his cleansing to to restore the, the grace of God to us and walk in the joy of that lack of condemnation. He wants that for us. And and, and the reminder here this morning, dear friends, I, I hope it lands on you, that he promises He promises to make a way of escape, whatever the the temptation is. He promises that. The question is, will we walk in that way that he enables us in? Will Will we take that path that he gives to us? And church, let me ask you this question. When has sin ever delivered the goods? When has sin ever landed you in a place of you know, utter bliss? When has sin delivered something that's satisfying? It may be good for a moment, but it's like sand in the mouth. And God wants you to be reminded this morning that when you're tempted, as we all are tempted, when you're tempted, He does provide that way of escape so that you may be able to bear up under the temptation. And uh, I believe the Lord just 
by his spirit wanted me to remind us all, myself included, that God will provide the way of escape when we're tempted. He doesn't tempt us. He tests us. And when temptation comes, he will provide the way of escape. Well, let me bring this to a close. Uh, let me ask the worship team to come out, join me on the stage. So as we, as we had these two brief weeks in the Lord's Prayer, maybe sometime we'll come back to it and do it a little bit longer. But as we've had these two brief weeks, uh, the question that comes to my mind is, what will praying these themes that Jesus teaches us? We can pray the prayer verbatim, and that's really good. I'm doing that uh, day by day. Um, but we'll, what will praying either verbatim or these themes in our heart, what will it accomplish in our lives? And so I want to end on this word of hope. It's going to accomplish real things in your heart and in your life. Last week, there were two things I said it would do. Then I'm going to add two things to it. Last week, we talked about how when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our love for God's Word will grow. Why? Because when we love God, we're going to love what He says. We're going to love his promises. And so as we pray this prayer, uh, Lord, your will be done in my heart and in my life. We're going to love God's word because it reveals the word of God to us. So your faith, uh, excuse me, your love for God's word will grow. Secondly, I said last week, your faith will grow. Why? Because you'll be reminded of God's provision for your every need. Thirdly, this week, I will say that as we pray the Lord's prayer, something else will happen. We'll, we, we will be an exceedingly thankful people, right? We're going to grow in our thankfulness. Because this time next year, as we look back and see how God has been faithful to us over this year, we'll be able to say, Lord, yet again, you've been faithful. You have provided for my day-to-day needs. I love you, Lord. Thank you. And, and please continue to build my faith for the future. We will be an exceedingly thankful people. And then finally, fourthly, we will increasingly treasure. We will treasure the mercy of God. We will treasure the mercy of God. It will be a delight to us. The mercy of God will rise in our hearts. And we're going to sing a song here in just a moment that celebrates the mercy of God. It, it, the first line goes like this. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing. He counts not their sum. Thrown into to a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Dear friends, this is what God wants to produce in our hearts as we pray the Lord's Prayer. He wants to build us into an increasingly thankful people who treasure the mercy of God. Do you have something in your life that you treasure, that you care a whole lot about? It could be the person that's sitting next to you. It could be some object or possession. Something that you treasure. We know as God's people, what we treasure is the mercy that we've received. And because we've received that mercy, now we can give it out to one another. So would you stand with me as we close? Would you rise to your feet? And can we together, with one voice, 
Say the Lord's Prayer yet again. I don't know if there's a way, Andrew, to project that. I didn't ask you that. Thank you for it. If you can grab your phone or grab your Bible, let's state the Lord's Prayer together slowly, thoughtfully. We're going to read from the ESV. But I think it's right that we do this. Having gone through line by line, having had our thoughts stirred about what God's doing in this prayer as he teaches us, let's say the prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, this is our prayer. Jesus taught us this prayer to instruct our hearts. And and so now as we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we hear his instruction, Lord, it changes our hearts. Lord, help us to be a people who treasure your mercy. Help us to be a people who are thankful because you provide for our daily needs. Help us to know that the very God who holds the universe in his hands, who calls all the nations of the world a a drop in the bucket, you who hold all things together, you care about our daily bread. You love us. You minister grace to us. So, Lord, now in response to your grace, we sing this song that expresses our joy. We say, praise the Lord. He is good. We offer up this sacrifice of praise to you. So we sing this together now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.